Good morning. Good to be back together. Um, Lexi and I had a parenting win this weekend. We successfully completed our first road trip with the newborn. And uh, wow. I mean, I was excited about it. I didn't know how excited other people would be, but that was, that was a victory for us. We left Friday for Houston and we spent Friday evening with her family. And then we spent Saturday with my family and got to introduce her to a lot of different folks that hadn't met her yet. And so that was, that was a lot of fun. We got to attend my twin niece's birthday. They were turning 10 yesterday. And so a lot of water slides and stuff that I didn't partake in, but still nonetheless, it was a good time just to be with our family. But we are glad to, to be here today. I'm really excited that Alexi's here with Sydney. Um, you know, it's just a joy to be together as a family as well with, with the church. Um, my first job when I was in high school was cooking chicken at Chick-fil-A. Um, all in all, wow, people are, you guys like to cheer today. Woo, Chick-fil-A. Uh, all in all, that was a pretty good gig. I mean, they let me off uh, for most of the things that I wanted to do with church and, and you know, family and whatnot. But there was one day while working at Chick-fil-A that I will never forget. And it was one day that I did not like, and it was the day that I had to dress up as a Chick-fil-A cow. It was August of either 1999 or 2000. I will never forget the day, but I'm trying to put out the details of my mind. But uh, it was August of 1999 or 2000, and in suburban Houston, if you've been to Houston, you know that the weather is just terrible. It's one of the most humid places on the planet. And uh, there I was wearing this really, really heavy suit in 100-plus degree weather. And I was standing out on the street waving at cars, trying to, like, draw attention. We were having some sort of event that day at our store. And um, the, probably the, my least favorite part about it, other than just the sweltering heat and the fact that, you know, it was just so miserable, was that people were, like, throwing things at me and rolling down their windows and honking at me. And I was like, wow, this is not what I envisioned, you know, doing today when I woke up. But uh, the worst part about it was actually that the only saving grace was that there was a little fan inside the head of the cow. And that fan had busted, of course, you know. And uh, so it was just like sweat was just beating down your face. And you couldn't wipe it away because if you take your head off, all the little kids are going to freak out because they'll realize, well, he's not the cow. But uh, it, was, it was a rough day, but thankfully I, I never had to, to, to dress up as the cow again. That was kind of like an initiation kind of thing they did. It's like, as long as you were like at least 5'8 and you were new, it was like, okay, we've got to use him. Because he, once you do it once, then you'll, you'll quit if you try to make somebody do it again. But work that day was not fun. It was truly laborious. And I'm guessing that all of us have experienced some sort of, of work that feels laborious. For most people, work is not really a happy thing, it's a hard thing. And most people don't enjoy their work. And I think that's for a variety of reasons. Some of us are in debt up to our ears, and so we take jobs that we don't like because they pay well so that we can get out of debt. And getting out of debt is a good thing, but that creates a problem for us sometimes. Others of us are under a lot of pressure. We have deadlines that are looming over us. 
we have quotas that are staring us in the face, or we have an annual review that's coming right around the corner and we're just dreading it. Or maybe you don't like work because you have an interpersonal conflict in your place of business. Maybe there's somebody that you just don't get along with and there's just no end in sight because you have to work with them. Others of us may have a job that we feel is dull or tenuous, and it's, it's like when we're there, we're just hearing the faint clicks of the clock, waiting for 5 o'clock to, to arrive. For most of us, I believe that work is a hard thing. And I believe that one of the main reasons why work is hard is not necessarily the circumstances we find ourselves in, but because we don't understand work. And you're kind of probably makes you think, well, what are you talking about? We don't understand work. Of course we do. You just work. You do it. But, but what I'm talking about is we don't understand work's proper place in life, how it fits with who we are and our purpose in this life. And when we don't understand something, what we need to do is we need to find a story to explain it to us because we, we tend to learn best by putting things in the context of something bigger. And so today what I want to do is I want to spend some time looking at how the gospel story, creation, fall, redemption, and restoration, how it explains work for us, how it helps us understand its purpose and how, it, it, how it, we relate to it in this life. So we're going to be in a few different passages today, but we're going to start in Genesis chapter 1, verses 27 and 28. So if you uh, have a Bible, go ahead and turn there. If you need one, there's one in the back of the pew in front of you. And we'll begin in Genesis 1, 27 and 28. And as we read God's story, we will really, I think what we'll see is that there is a gospel-centered view of work that the Bible gives us. And we will wrestle with three questions today as we, as we look at these passages. First of all, we will wrestle with why do we need work? Secondly, why is work so difficult? And third, how can you overcome the difficulties of work? Why do we need work? Why is work so difficult, and, and how can you overcome the difficulties of work? Let's pray real quick before we read. Father, I thank you for the, the blessing that it is to be together with people week after week. What a joy it is to sing to you together, to be surrounded by family, really, with our brothers, our sisters in Christ, um, joining in unity, worshiping you. I pray that as we spend some time in your word this morning, that you would direct this time, that you would guide it, that you would clarify for us how the work fits in with our lives, how we can rightly understand it in view of, of Jesus and what he's done and your work of redemption. And so, God, would you, would you be with us? Would you meet us here this morning? We want to meet with you as we spend time in your word. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. So Genesis 1. 27 and 28 says this. So God created man in his own image. In the image of God, he created him. Male and female, he created them. And God blessed them, and God said to them, Be fruitful and multiply, and fill the earth and subdue it, and have dominion over the fish of the sea and over the birds of heaven and over every living thing that moves on the earth. So there's a lot of things there, but the first thing I want to point out is that when God created you and I, he created us in his own image. We are, we are created to reflect God's nature here on this earth. And in order to do this, God gave us 
some of his very characteristics. So, in a, for example, unlike plants or animals, we are creative, like our God, who is the creator. We have an intrinsic characteristics and personality that desire to make things, to create things. And God has created us to create, to work. Those are really two different words of, of one thing. And if you think about it, when God was creating the heavens and the earth, he himself was working. It says that he worked for six days and then rested on the seventh. The theologians refer to this verse as the cultural mandate, because what God was doing in this verse when he created humanity and then told us to be fruitful and multiply and fill the earth and subdue it, he was mandating that you and I, that humanity would create culture, that we would be people who do things that um, bring things into existence out of, of lesser things, that we become people who are joining in the work of our creator, beautifying, bringing order to his earth. And if you look at it, what, what God's design was, he, he gave Adam and Eve, he gave them dominion over the garden, and then he expected that to spill over into the entire earth. And as, as Adam and Eve had children and taught them how to work, they were supposed to subdue the rest of creation. So things were supposed to go from primitive to to collected, to orderly, to beautiful, to um, you know having 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 a lot of, of uh, what's the word I'm looking for? Greater purpose, bringing things from from something that is just kind of existing to to fulfilling a, a role. And this word that he uses, subdue, actually refers to what God did in creation, turning chaos into order. So God's, God's design for humanity is that we would spread across the earth, taking things that are in chaos and bring order to them. And that looks like many different things, but it means that we form gardens, we form cities, we create culture, doing things like creating art, um, cooking and creating food. Writing music, blessing, blessing one another with that type of culture, doing philosophy, doing theology, learning you know, different languages. All these things are expressions of the fact that we have a creative God. And so it's no coincidence that Earth really, if you look at the biblical story, we begin in a garden, and where do we end up? We end up in a city, in a majestic city. So God's desire is that we would take things that are out of order in chaos and bring order to them. And that takes work. But if you look at Genesis chapter 2, we're going to read the verses that we read in our Old Testament reading today. Uh, we'll learn a little bit more about this. Verse 7 says this in Genesis 2. Then the Lord God formed the man of dust from the ground and breathed into his nostrils the breath of life, and the man became a living creature. And the Lord God planted a garden in Eden in the east, and there he put the man whom he had formed. And out of the ground the Lord God made to spring up every tree that is pleasant to the sight and good for food. The tree of life was in the midst of the garden, and the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. And then verse 15. The Lord God took the man and put him in the garden of Eden to work it and to keep it. So God didn't just place Adam and Eve in the garden just to hang out and eat. He put them there to work and to keep it. His purpose was to take care of and to protect the garden. That was God's plan, his design for humanity. And 
I think it's really, really important that we, we pick up on something here. In this chapter, Genesis 2, God is creating man and giving them the responsibility of work. It's really important that we understand where this is in the biblical narrative. This is in Genesis 2, because there's this really common and misconception among people, but even us as believers, as Christians, that work is a, is a bad thing. It's a part of the curse of the fall. But as I said before, this is Genesis chapter 2. The fall doesn't happen until Genesis chapter 3. So it's really important that we understand that work was something that God did himself, not because he had to, but because he wanted to. And then it was something that he gave to us as a responsibility, as a purpose, really as a gift. Because when we act in accordance with our image that is reflecting our creator, we will find pleasure because he created, he worked for his own pleasure. So God created man and he gave us work before the fall. It is not a curse but a blessing. It's part of God's original design for us. It's not bad. It's not a result of sin. So why do we need to work? We need to work because we were actually created for work. We were created to work. And then the second question, why is work so hard? We're going to look at Genesis chapter 3, verse 17 momentarily. As you, as you get there, let me, let me just kind of let you know, fill you in. You're familiar with the story, most likely, but I just want to remind you. So Genesis 2, God puts them in the garden, tells them to, to subdue it, to protect it. And then what happens? He gives them one rule only. He says, do not eat of this one tree. It's a tree of the knowledge of good and evil. And they ate of that tree. They disobeyed God. And when, when Adam and Eve did that, Everything was broken. Humanity was broken. The earth was broken. That's why we refer to it as the fall. We fell from grace, and everything was fractured. Creation was cursed as a result of that. And then in Genesis 3, 17, this is what God comes and says to Adam as a result of their disobedience, of their stepping out of God's, God's plan. It says in verse 17, And to Adam he said, because you have listened to the voice of your wife and have eaten of the tree of which I commanded you, you shall not eat of it. Cursed is the ground because of you. In pain you shall eat of it all the days of your life. Thorns and thistles it shall bring forth for you, and you shall eat the plants of the field. By the sweat of your face you shall eat bread till you return to the ground. For out of it you were taken, for you were dust, and to dust you shall return. The basic idea here is that because of the fall, because sin entered into the world, work, along with everything else, along with the earth itself, became cursed. And because of sin, work is now difficult. Because of sin, work now involves thorns and thistles, or to put it in our context, stress, belligerent bosses, deadlines, meetings, all of these things that we don't enjoy. Because of sin, work now works against us. Because of sin, nothing is as God created it, as it should be. Because of sin, the work is broken, just like everything else. And that is the answer to our question why it works so hard. Because work was cursed by the fall. Work was cursed by the fall. Thankfully, there's more to the story. We're going to flip over to the New Testament. We're going to look at Romans 8, 20 and 21, which really unpacks for us how we can overcome the difficulties of work. I mean, is there a way out? Is there a way that we can, can 
be victorious over this curse. And Romans 8 gives us that. It says in verse 20, it says this, But the creation was subjected to futility, not willingly, but because of him who subjected it, in the hope that the creation itself will be set free from its bondage to corruption and obtain the freedom of the glory of the children of God. So the earth and all things that are tied to it are waiting for their redemption. They are longing for it, looking for it. And this verse is saying that it will be set free, creation and all things that are tied to it, will be set free from its bondage as it obtains freedom with the children of God. So what that means is that when God redeemed humanity, he was also redeeming the earth. And his work of restoration is bigger than just his people, it's his entire creation. So what that looks like, that means that when you and I were redeemed by the blood of Christ, when we became new creations, that means all of us was made new, and all of our life was made new. Our work life is made new in Christ as well. And so God is redeeming and restoring our work along with the rest of creation through Christ. He desires for our redemption to cause our view of work to be transformed and to not see work as just a necessary evil, but to see it as a calling, to see it as an opportunity to reflect the image of our Creator and to be a blessing. And this, this truth, that it's not a curse, that it is cursed by the fall, but that it is being redeemed and restored in Christ, gives us hope. It helps us see work as something that is not inherently bad, but still hard. But through it and in it, we have a chance to be a blessing to our Creator, to find satisfaction in working well and being a blessing to others. And so the question of how can you overcome the difficulties of work, I believe it's in embracing your work as your calling from God. Embracing your work as your calling from God. It is a primary way that we reflect God's glory, that we serve others and join Him in His work of redemption and restoration. A couple of verses that speak to this idea, we read one earlier. 1 Corinthians 10.31, though, it says, Whether you eat or drink or whatever you do, you go all to the glory of God. And then in Colossians 3.17, the verse we read, Whatever you do in word or deed, do all in the name of the Lord Jesus, giving thanks through Him to God the Father. So when you and I show up at our jobs, or we show up at our schools, when we show up there, we're there for God's glory. We're not there just to earn a paycheck. We're not there just to provide for our family. We're not there just to learn. We're there to reflect the image of our Creator and to be a blessing to other people, to join God in His work of redemption and restoration, of bringing life to that which is dead. When you and I work hard with integrity and excellence, we reflect the glory of our God, and we will find joy in that. When we work for the good of others rather than for selfish gain, when we seek to be a blessing rather than to receive a blessing, we will find satisfaction in our work. When we see our co-workers as people in need of grace rather than the person that just annoys us all day, although they may do that, but when we see them as somebody who God has, in his providence, ordained that we would share a cubicle or an office or a seat at a table, whatever your workplace looks like, 
when we see that he is actually doing something in that, it's not by chance. We get to be a part of God's mission and, and, and get to be a part of something greater than just existing. So what difference does this make? I mean, really, like all of this stuff that we've talked about, that I've shared with you, what difference does it make tomorrow, on Monday, that dreaded day of the week when you have to get up and you don't want to, and you have to go to work? Well, I'm going to give you some, I guess, for alliteration, work week, work week wisdom. Kind of cheesy, but it works. So work week wisdom. I'm going to give you four things that I believe in light of this, can help us as we go about our work. See it as something that is actually sacred. See it as something that is actually God-ordained rather than just this burden that we carry. First of all, I want to challenge us to work and study hard. To work and study hard. When, when we remember that our work matters, that it isn't a curse, but it's actually our responsibility and we do it in such a way where we do it with excellence, that reflects the character of God. So work hard. Work hard knowing that it actually matters. Like when you do things well, it pleases the Father. Study hard. If you're in school, don't see your studies as just a means to an end, just a way to earn a piece of paper that will give you more opportunities. But see it as a way to learn about your God and how he has created his world. To learn about his truth that we see in all things, every discipline out there, not just things that are that are biblical or theological. But to work and study hard. Secondly, I believe that we can find more joy in our work if we will not expect it to be easy. So don't expect your work or your soul to be easy. As Genesis 2 says, work wars against us. It's going to be hard. The fall has made it hard. As a result of the fall, there's debt, there's deadlines, there's quotas, there's annual reviews, there's conflict and menial tasks that feel menial. There's nothing that is truly menial, but things that feel menial, those are a part of life. So are flashcards, reading lists, pop quizzes, tests, papers. Those are not going to disappear. They will continue to be difficult. So don't expect it to be easy. And third, kind of similar, I challenge you, don't expect too much from work. Don't expect too much from it. And what I mean by that is that while it is our responsibility, as we talked about a couple of weeks ago, it is not our identity. That's really important for us to understand. Our work is our responsibility, but it's not our identity. It may be what we do, and it may change over the course of life, but it is not who we are. We were created to work, but we are not primarily laborers. We are primarily children of God. And finally, the last thing, submit your work and study to God in prayer. Submit your work and study to God in prayer. Because it is one of your primary ways, as I said before, to reflect God's glory, to be a blessing to others, to join God in his work of redemption and restoration. And if it's going to be all of that, if you're going to really embrace this truth and see your work life as a blessing and an honor and a joy, it's going to require prayer. It's going to require the dependence on the Spirit. Because our default mode is not to think of how we can be a blessing to God, how we can be a blessing to others. Our default mode is how do I do this with as little work as possible? How do I do this in a way where I benefit? It takes a supernatural work of the Holy Spirit to transform 
our work and study into something that we actually see as our devotion to our Father rather than a curse or a burden. Let's treat it as a blessing and ask God to help us in that. I want to share a quick quote with you before we wrap up today. And um, I think this is just really, really cool. The famous jazz saxophonist, John Coltrane, he wrote these words in the liner notes of his famous album, A Love Supreme. And, and I really think that he really understood what the, the scriptures teach about work and how it fits in life. This is what Coltrane says. It says, during the year 1957, I experienced by the grace of God a spiritual awakening which was to lead me to a richer, fuller, more productive life. At that time, in gratitude, I humbly asked to be given the means and privilege to make others happy through music. I feel that this has been granted through his grace. All praise to God. This album is a humble offering to him, an attempt to say thank you, God, through our work, even as we do in our hearts and with our tongues. May he help and strengthen all men in every good endeavor. My prayer for each one of us is that, like Coltrane, we would see what we do as our chance to be a blessing, both to God to other people, to work with him and his work of redeeming and restoring all things through his son, that we would see our occupations as our responsibility, but also our privilege, our joy. Let's pray. Father, we thank you that you've given us your word. We thank you that it helps us understand life, that it gives us understanding, that it helps us have wisdom when it comes to the things that you set before us. That it helps us understand that while work is hard, it is something that you've given us as a responsibility, as a blessing. I pray that you would help us in this because, Lord, we know that we don't typically think of others. We don't typically think of you. We typically think of ourselves. So would you help us go from this place today, Lord? Would you help us when we wake up tomorrow to see our work as our calling from you, our privilege? In Jesus' name, amen.